I think often we have arguments in the area of communication because people think an argument is about who's right, whereas what really needs to happen is just for one person to feel heard, to feel that their experience has been understood. And in a way, that's the easiest thing because it means sometimes saying nothing, but actually it's the hardest thing. That is the voice of Joanna Harrison, a brilliant couples therapist at Tavistock Relationships and Family Law in Partnership and a former divorce lawyer. And she believes that there are a number of arguments all couples actually need to have. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all to have a better second half. And as you probably know, I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Well, if you're listening to this episode as it's released, we are in the midst of the festive season, so you are probably spending quite a lot of time with your loved ones, which I hope is an absolutely wonderful experience. But it may well be that you find tensions run a little higher than normal with your best beloved over Christmas and New Year. And actually, I remember speaking with my own divorce lawyer a few years back, who confided that her absolute busiest day of the year is always the 2nd of January when her inbox is flooded with requests for her services. So now definitely seems to be the right time to be having this discussion, hopefully to help many stave off the ultimate relationship breakdown and perhaps make our lawyers' inboxes a little less busy. Well, my guest today is Joanna Harrison, who's written a wickedly insightful book called Five Arguments All Couples Need to Have. Just the person you need some wisdom from right now, perhaps, if you have come to your podcast feed for a bit of respite from any marital or relationship stress. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, Joanna. As I said, you're a couples therapist and a former divorce lawyer. You're also a wife and a mother. So what's in all that experience that has led you to believe that relationships are actually quite hard work? And, you know, is this perhaps an acknowledgement that thinking for a moment about how we can work at our relationships a good place to start if we want a happy and long lasting one? Yes. Hi there. Thank you for having me on. Yes. I mean, I think that that what has led me to write this was a sense that I had from my privileged perspective of, of working as a couple therapist and seeing different couples come in all with their unique issues, but that there were these areas that came up again and again, and they were familiar to me from my own relationship and to the ones I heard about from my friends. And I wanted to say, I wanted to depict that actually, you know, the well-being of a relationship 
doesn't mean that you that you're not arguing or that you're not having difficulty and I think that people can feel that if they're having an argument or there's conflict that that is a sign that something's wrong and I, I wanted to just sort of map out that actually you know there are real opportunities for well-being and growth from handling the inevitable conflict that comes from living with someone who is different with you that's not to say of course that there is some kind of conflict that is not good and not healthy but the sort of everyday stuff which as you say is is probably aggravated in the festive period just from all that is going on could could we look at that could we all feel a bit more interested and a bit better about it well, it, it's got some fantastic nuggets, which I know that we will delve into. And before we get into some of these areas that all relationships have to navigate, I'm intrigued that you write in your book that all these arguments are the inevitable consequences of us sharing space. Yes. Talk to me about what you mean by that and why you should still have hope if all these things, as you say, are pretty much inevitable. Well, I, th- I think... If we live with someone, you know, physically or in emotionally in a relationship, and we're different, we come with the smallest differences, like our attitude to mess on the worktop or yes. whether the toilet seat is up or down, and we come with deeper differences, with different longings and different expectations about a relationship or different hopes for a relationship. And we have to find a way to to live with those differences. And we don't know all those differences at the beginning. So, uh, you know, there's also this sort of learning curve in a relationship that I think is ongoing. It's not, I'm not saying that you you have all these arguments and then you're done because life being life is always different. And there are sort of teething problems at every stage. There's always things that get thrown out and you learn. It's like, for example, when a couple become parents, things may, they may have really got into a good groove with each other. You know, everything is in balance. And then they have children, they discover that they have some really fundamentally different ideas that relate to their own bringing up that they care about differently. Yes. And have to then, you know, that's a new chapter of kind of having to figure that out. Or what about when the children leave? You know, that's another thing. Okay, we've got different ideas about what we want to do at this point. So there's always difference to manage. And a rich conversation about that, or when we have an argument about those differences, we're actually learning. We're sort of putting bits on the map about each other. Oh, right. That really does matter to you. If Mm -hmm. we can be curious after an argument, it doesn't matter to me, but that obviously is a real issue for you. And then you learn a bit, you sort of fill in a bit more about each other. Yes. Yeah. And presumably the things that we're about to explore become more pronounced at times like these, you know, our festive holidays, precisely because we are sharing more of that physical and mental space over a concentrated period of time. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and and lockdown was was a really extended version of that. But I think, yes, yes, a, a sort of the 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 feeling that is conveyed by being on top of each other there's tensions there's no respite perhaps and then you throw in you know chapter two of my book is all about families and at some level you know managing each other's families and in-laws and all of that you know put that into Mm. the mix It, it can feel very suffocating for people I think and also the thing about Christmas actually it's a bit like I always say it's a bit like having children people have big ideas about Christmas it's not nothing so 
people are invested with with wanting things to be their way. It's not that they're just sort of indifferent. I think maybe there are some people who are indifferent, but lots of people are not indifferent to Christmas. So it's a big melting pot of potentially yes. big and different ideas that that relate maybe to our oldest longings, you know, wanting to recreate or the Christmases of our childhood or wanting to repair the Christmases of our mm. childhood. So it is a potentially intense melting pot, shall we say. Yeah. That's really true, actually. I'm just thinking about that from my own perspective. I love Christmas. I mean, yes, Christmas for me, me starts kind of at the, yeah. know, the middle of October. Yeah. And it's always been a big part of my family's life growing up. And I, I placed huge significance to it and all the rituals and traditions and making Christmas puddings and all of that. My ex-husband did not have that experience and is not a massive fan of Christmas and actually has kind of got a take it or leave it approach. And, you know, we only found out that after being married and having our first Christmas together. So yes. that was, I'd never actually thought about, you know, that being such a fundamental difference. But I'd like to, to come back to your point actually about communication, because that's obviously the starting point, isn't it? And mm -hmm. so many discussions that I have here on this podcast, you know, inevitably talk about communication. What, from your point of view, do we need to understand about both our own and our partner's communication style? Because they, they are varied, aren't they? They really are. And, and I think we learn about, again, we learn from our mistakes. So we, we can learn that the case studies I present, you know, they're sort of getting it wrong with each other with their communication style. So we're going to learn that on the job. So let's say a, a sort of classic one is someone who wants to problem solve when their partner brings up something difficult. That may be the way that they've been spoken to or the way that they like to be spoken to, but it isn't necessarily what their partner needs. It isn't what would comfort or console their partner who's who's struggling with something. So, you know, it's that sort of square peg into a round hole sort of type issue. Or I think a big one and, you know, different phases of life bring up different anxieties and, and or different situations. So I really think in, in a relationship, what so many couples struggle with when they come in and so many of them come in and say we're here because we've got problems with communication, what they are really struggling with is that one or both of them is trying to convey their anxiety or concern about something and the other person is trying to tell them that they don't need to worry or is trying to meet that anxiety with something rational and it doesn't work and it's can in a relationship they find a way to listen to each other's concerns which may not be the same as their own. I think often we have arguments in the area of communication because people think an argument is about who's right whereas what really needs to happen is just for one person to feel heard, to feel that their experience has been understood. And in a way, that's the easiest thing because it, it means sometimes saying nothing, but actually it's the hardest thing. So listening is just as crucial then as talking. Listening is everything and showing that you've listened. And I always say acknowledgement. You know, you don't have to agree with what your partner says to acknowledge it, but there is so much value in doing so. Because if you try, if people try and persuade their partner not to feel the way they feel, the, their partner will turn up the volume. I mean, that's how arguments escalate. Taking the heat out of an argument is by saying, OK, I, I've heard what you said there. So, or can I just clarify with you? Do you mean that mm. sort of thing? Rather than, no, that, you know, That's not wrong. right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which is just a trigger, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so it's moving away from being right or wrong to, to being curious, which is really difficult Mm -hmm. it's something we can do after an argument actually is that's often the mindset 
is sort of how do you repair I go on and on mm. about repairing after an argument and it's having a curious mindset after the event what what meant so much to you about the dishwasher right kind of thing? like yes. what was that really about no that that I yeah you, and you, you you've got some brilliant everyday examples you talk a lot about the washing up um, and why the washing up matters and and how it can be sort of symbolic of so much of what's going on in a relationship and I think that is really such a valid and interesting and simple point, isn't it? That if you do have an argument about something or you are disagreeing, just to take a moment afterwards to say, why? What? What? You know, what, I'm just interested to know why that matters and what has led you to believe that and, you know, whether we can meet some way on this. I mean, do you think that some people are just never going to be on the same page? And is there a middle ground that couples can agree to 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 meet on and, and to talk about without fear of it escalating into an argument? I mean, I think all couples are going to have things on which they can't agree or on which they're different. And I think they can evolve into a state where, where they, you know, sit, there, there are arguments that couples have again and again you know they will say we've we've been having this argument you know I have it in my own relationship yes. it's not like I, I I've had the, like, we have the same but you sort of get to know it a bit better and you get to understand a bit more about why why you're getting into that and I think you know there, there can come a point where afterwards you're like oh we were doing that again and and almost to to have a sense of humor about it okay that is you know that is one of the things that drives me crazy about you and there are equally that on on each side there are going to be things that drive each other crazy and sort of to be to have a good will around that but I think that takes a lot of work and an understanding about why is it that you find it so difficult to do that and that actually it, 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 it it's being compassionate to each other's weaknesses mm. or sensitivities you know I, I say that we're like getting into relationships someone is, is sort of driving around in terrain that you really don't know and you don't know until you've kind of bumped on something yes you don't know how strong your tires are yeah exactly basically (laughs) if they're going to puncture and explode or if it's going to take you through you talk in the beginning about dealing with each other's families and of course when we marry we don't just marry and take on the other person but we become part of a much wider family network usually what are the core issues in your experience that might crop up there? So I think there are different levels. The sort of top level is just the is the actual external practical stuff of how are we going to manage each other's families, different expectations from within the couple and from the family members who may have their own ideas about what they think or what involvement they want and different ideas within the couple about how much involvement they want again there's no right or wrong about involvement from each other's families but but what in my experience is always important is that they're they're in it together so it's not just a question of saying get over my family they're not going to change it which is often what you sort of hear it's more like okay I understand that you have a different experience of my family than I do I'm really curious in what's difficult for you here or you know, how can we sort of be compassionate to each other rather than just thinking that the other one is the problem and they've just got to get over it? You know, or it might come the other way. Like, why can't you stand up to your family? Why can't you 
why can't you tell them to behave in a certain way? And it's like, well, it's not as easy as you might think, sort of thing. So can you have a curious conversation like that? So that is, there's a lot of tension in that area. And that's a kind of universal, you know, there are lots of sort of jokes about the in-laws. It's a kind of universal, you have to graduate to each other's families and find a way through. And, and actually Christmas is symbolic of that because everyone's got their big ideas, different generations. And what's really happening is that maybe the couple who maybe have their own children are evolving their own ideas and that's quite symbolic of, 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 of moving away from each of their own families of origin into making their own traditions sort of thing. Mm. I would love the John yeah. Lewis ad to, to, to capture this <laughs> one day. <Right>. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you should be a consultant on that. I, I, I love what you say, actually, about curious conversations. Yeah. Like that seems to be a recurring yeah, theme, it is. actually. Sorry. I hope it, if, it's my No, word. no, please yeah. don't apologise. I hope that we all take that away and remember that 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 word curiosity and is it therefore important to talk about the way that we were raised and perhaps what we can learn about you know certain expectations of relationships that we might then have as an adult absolutely and I think that relates to the concrete stuff but also to the more subtle stuff that you know I will always in a first consultation with a couple ask them to give me the feel of what they grew up or what was important in their families and what were their roles what what did they see of relationships around them that that so much of that sort of shapes the way shapes the way things are in a relationship or what what each person brings into the relationship and again becoming more aware of that really is empowering and can touch on the more subtle longings and and the sort of bits in the middle of going back to this sort of daily life business that the way we do things you know whether we pull the curtains open in the morning or not kind of thing is is a lot to do with kind of what we've grown up with and Mm -hmm. but also you you know someone whose parents haven't had a good relationship or who've had a very conflictual relationship as compared with their partner who doesn't they're going to have a different idea about what conflict is or why are you such a conflict avoider well because I grew up and it was really difficult sort of thing Mm. so again knowledge is is empowering here and that's many conversations and and I think that's really bonding as well. All of this curiosity creates intimacy. It's it's so good to know and be aware of it. I'm just thinking of myself here. My I grew up, my parents, I've never heard them argue, uh-huh. ever. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think they argue behind closed doors. They are either extremely in tune or very passive mm. uh, and, and controlled. And when I married somebody who was a lot more volatile, who was very quick to argue I felt really shocked and yeah. threatened by that because I, yeah. it, I had no experience of it yeah and I didn't understand it and you know he would just say oh okay that's who I am I'm just you know I'm just Italian that's that's the way we behave which I found quite confusing because yeah. that wasn't anything to do with with my background but you know we never discussed it yeah <laughs> we probably should have done well I think it's because <laughs> it, it, that idea of well that's who I am well well yes that's who we are but really understanding what impact who you are has on your partner is a huge leap of imagination. It, you know, we say sort of st- step in each other's shoes and, and that phrase is so overused that you sort of stop thinking about what it is. But actually, what is the impact? If you can be really curious about what it might actually feel like to be you, to be someone who's not who, who's never heard that, completely shocking or terrifying. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. sort of vice versa and that honestly that is a dynamic that comes up a lot and look 
you know, your parents probably in, in sort of not arguing or not giving you a feel of that are also trying to protect children. You know, we know that frequent hostile arguing in front of kids is bad for their mental health. And I'm not saying, come on, everyone, start arguing in front of your kids. But actually, when you model to your, you know, when children have a sense that their parents can disagree and then find a resolution. Yeah, and still be friends and love each other. That is, is a very positive modelling. Yeah, that's very modeling. healthy. Yeah. But it's the sort of, yeah, nasty every day, never, never trying to address it. So what I'm saying here is if you're having an argument, try and address it. Don't just keep having it for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, it's a broken record, isn't it? You talk a lot about the little things and how we deal with, you know, sharing out the jobs that need doing. And in fact, the subtitle of your book is and why the washing up matters. So go on then once and for all, why does the washing up matter? <laughs> Well, the washing up really matters practically because it is this one thing, it's every single day, you know, it's 24-7. And if, if there are resentments in that sort of stuff, that is just going to affect everything. And then lockdown, I think, you know, lots of people, that sort of stuff really got to them. The, the daily business of having to clear up and, and then start again. But it also matters at a deeper level because if you're having resentments or tensions in, in any area you know, say you really feel fundamentally unacknowledged in the relationship or there's no gratitude or appreciation, then you will see at some point about doing jobs around the house. Or if you feel that your partner isn't communicating with you in a way that is helpful or that, that it, it just finds its way basically into the daily life. Oh, I agree with you. Seething is, you know, is is a really good word. And I'm sure many of us can relate to that. And that sense of kind of being a martyr because you think, oh, for heaven's sake, I'll just do it anyway. And then you do, you, you build up this resentment inside. So do you think then that the small household chores are indicative perhaps of bigger issues? And do you think that arguments about this are actually representative of something else? Yeah, I think that arguments about chores can be arguments about resentments about how the workload is, is shared. I mean, that's obvious, I guess, but I do think that's a very toxic area that can really build up a lot of resentment. But I think it can also be beyond the, the workload. It can be about anything. If someone is cross and can't find a way to feel heard or express that, you know, it, it will come out in the in the example in the book, she's doing the hoovering and she's doing it really in a kind of angry way. <laughs> like, right, I can imagine. Her, her, her partner is is meant to hear the way that she is yes. hoovering, kind of thing. You know, it sort of leaks out. It's just, and, and I think it's business of living with someone is, is difficult and is not often depicted, really. I, I just get to hear about it. And I do, people say to me, gosh, you must hear such interesting stuff. But the really important stuff that I deal with in my consulting room is talking about the shopping, talking about the bins, talking about the washing up, hearing about that stuff. And they say, gosh, I mean, I'm really sorry that we're going to bring this argument that we had about the, the ironing, but like, do you mind? And I'm like, yes, bring it, because this will have everything in it. Let's talk right. about it. You, you you talk about creating a, like an HR function within a relationship, a contract of sorts that can be reviewed over time. Do you, do you think that really is important? Some people might think that it's kind of taking a bit of fun out of the relationship to be a bit more contractual. Well, I'm not saying write it down, although everyone will have their own way of doing. What I'm saying is that having a conversation about who does what in the way, you know, we don't, we, we our, our families, family life is complicated and busy. If you don't stop and reflect with each other about how you're feeling about the different things you're doing, 
that's where resentment can build. So this sort of HR function, I mean, is, is a kind of reflective function and gives a really important opportunity for some of the jobs that are harder to illustrate or quantify to get known about. And I hear about this a lot, you know, people who feel I'm, I'm organising stuff that I don't get necessarily paid for or no one sees it or any gratitude even or gratitude and actually yeah so that HR moment is an opportunity to build up appreciation and awareness of what each other's doing and I think that's really important and is really good hygiene actually because it sort of clears away resentment and the things we have to do are not always the things that we would like to do or that we would choose to do, or people doing jobs they would wish they weren't doing, but that's what they're doing. And just because you can't change that, it doesn't mean that you can't have a sort of conversation where you can understand how you each feel about it. I think that's consoling and supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to another key area um, before the break, which is a, a lot of couples coming to you, not just about who puts the bins out, but actually coming to you because of intimacy issues. Why can this feel particularly fraught? I mean, it's interesting you say intimacy issues because I, I'm thinking that you're meaning sex and physical, that yes. sort of intimacy. Yeah, 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 but physical I, I mean, intimacy, I, I guess. Obviously, the, in, intimacy you can have on different levels, can't you? You can be emotionally intimate with someone. Totally, but I mean, often the two, you know, I, I, I think it's telling because the, the intimacy issues sexually, physically can can relate to the emotional intimacy issues and let's bring washing up into it you know actually (laughs) if it's done and someone's done it or being Mm -hmm. grateful that is going to make someone feel more like being physical with their partner more likely to have sex (laughs) totally let's just say it yes but it is it's the hardest it's the hardest thing to talk about it's the hardest it's hard to put things about our bodies into words and also I think people think that sex is something that should should happen without without having to be talked about or without having to be put into words that we either we're compatible or we're not. And, and I think actually, no, it can be looked at. I mean, I'm not a sex therapist as such, not sort of work with really specific sexual issues, but actually giving some thought, again, back to curiosity, what kind of helps, what helps us feel like this? What do we need to do? You know, you have to be quite practical sometimes. People have children or busy lives. Like, how is this actually going to happen? Rather than just sort of, imagining it's kind of just sort of spontaneous or what what do you like Those conversations can be so awkward it's so weird isn't it that we can hitch ourselves up to somebody for hopefully potentially the rest of our lives yeah. and feel able to have all sorts of discussions about all sorts of things but actually when it comes down to it having a straightforward mm-hmm. conversation about sex and you know frequency and type and you know all the rest of it yeah is just a no-go area for so many people and I mean I, yeah. I, I know I've, I've walked that path I totally yeah. you know relate to that it's so difficult and yet it's so you know if you've been in a relationship for a long time or over different stages of life things are changing you know things change bodies change you know it can be felt it can be seen can we expect something to never be talked about that is completely changing over time and actually those kind of conversations which people might avoid can be really intimate in themselves and and when people go and do you know see if they go into more sex therapy so much of it is this sort of curious approach finding what they both like what turns them on and and that conversation itself is really bonding but it is 
the argument that is hardest to have. And yeah, I mean, I also talk about bodies, you know, living with some, living with another person's body is difficult. We Habits, chewing, snoring, noises, you know, it's, it's <laughs> visceral. These things affect people at visceral yes, levels. Yes, they do. They genuinely do. <laughs> you know, it could drive people mad. Again, we sort of need to find ways to be really sensitive in this area. If you're going to bring it up, you it, you know, it's the thing that people will defend against most to hear criticism about something physical because I think it's so sort of visceral. It, it's funny you should talk about chewing. I have been doing a lot of work and research into genetics recently mm. and there is apparently a gene variance which makes us really detest the sound of somebody chewing. It's a genetic variant. Oh my God, that's so So we cannot... Amazing. <laughs> we, we cannot turn it off it's genetic it's hardwired into us and I know this because I have this gene variance and my daughter Lily who I adore she's one of the most precious people on the planet and she comes to stay with me often particularly when she's not well and she will chew toast in the noisiest way imaginable and it drives me absolutely insane and I've actually been able to have that conversation with her saying sweetheart if you're going to eat toast you seriously need to go and eat it somewhere else because it's massively disturbing me and it really I really find it difficult on that visceral level and but it's so funny because I understand it now I understand that it's my genes telling me I find it hard and I'm actually able to say to her listen I really love you and I love the fact that you're enjoying that piece of toast but we do need to be apart when you're eating it <laughs> but that, and that's being in a relationship yes. right isn't it I mean it's really I think that's just so brilliant I think that we all need to know this because I think many people have have this gene but it, it, it is hard wiring you know actually that is symbolic of, of so much of what I've been talked about which is that can we be compassionate to the things that are really wired into our partners that are not wired into us you know we think oh they could just change that but actually it's really hard what can be more compassionate is look I'm really sorry I, I, I kind of that is something like I just can't change <laughs> and I'm really sorry about the impact that that has on you so I think that is such a helpful one for couples is like, it's not, I'm sorry, I was wrong, but which people find hard to say, although sometimes that's appropriate, but more, I'm really sorry that this has an impact on you that it does, is a great line, frankly. Brilliant. One to write down. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but I think I'd really like to talk more about this. And particularly what happens if all these arguments and any other tensions really do just become too much and divorce becomes inevitable. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, welcome back. And I hope you've enjoyed that first half. And it certainly set me thinking. And, you know, I'll be really honest with you here. I have been through two divorces in my life. Um, You know, the first one, relatively easy, straightforward. Second one, much more complicated. And, you know, years of, of navigation. And, you know, there are things I learn now that I just so wish that I had known before and you know Joanna as as we mentioned before you are a former divorce lawyer um, and I remember my own divorce lawyer saying that you know the first working day after Christmas was her busiest time ever does that chime with your previous experience and you know why is it that at this time of year perhaps is it often the straw that breaks the camel's back it it, it was my experience and it, and it's it, it, it sort of is something that is talked about um I think there's there's different aspects. I mean, yes, Christmas can be fraught and it can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I think it's also, it depicts something of, of what has to be given up that, you know, sort of let's get through Christmas. Yeah, let's struggle through because for the sake of the kids or the family. Or, yes, yeah. and I think that so often, you know, some people, the, the, the investment in a relationship, if there are children, the sort of feelings and worries about what this, taking that step forward might mean and and there is something that has to be given up there and mourned and I think you know it's hard to take Christmas out of that picture really sort of think well let's you know there's a lot of longing in Christmas it's sort of family time and and then and then maybe we can move on to the to the next thing I think so yeah I mean I'm working a lot with that having to be given up what has been invested in and and the the really sad feelings about that yeah and I I think for me, also, I think Christmas in the latter years of my marriage was quite a poignant time because you ha- you're we're surrounded by images of happy families. You know, you, you talked about yeah. the John Lewis ad, you know, and, and it is, you know, well, this is how supposed, you know, life is supposed to be. And we're all supposed to be sitting, eating mince pies around the Christmas tree, hugging each other. And for me, that wasn't happening. And there was a real sense of loss and sadness and missing out yeah. and you know incomplete and failure and you know all of those things I guess which were sort of revved up and heightened over over these next sort of few weeks really yes that that really stirs it up and maybe that does stir up feeling and it's also self-preservation I think because I wonder if it was your experience it's it's such a intense process to go through at so many different levels there's the there's the practical domain of divorce there's the internal emotional 
domain and the interaction between those things. And actually, it, it takes up so much bandwidth. And, and Christmas is one of those things that takes up bandwidth too. And actually, the sort of, I don't think, you know, the two at the same time is just too much, actually. I mean, it's, you know, I work with clients who are going through a divorce a lot. It takes over. Oh, I've I absolutely been there, done yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, what are the main reasons that couples, when they come to you, what are the main reasons that they cite for getting divorced? Gosh, I mean, everyone's got their own personal reason and conclusion that they've come to, and everyone's got different thresholds, I think, for what they can manage in a relationship. It's not, you know, I, I sort of loathe to generalise, but we know that it's in people's 40s, I think, is the highest rate I think there is a sort of moment of kind of reflection of, okay, this this isn't working, this isn't what I expected, or that, that I think that I talk about, you know, this, this idea about the workload we share, that's a really toxic one, I think, that I hear a lot about, is sort of someone feeling really unappreciated in the relationship, issues in that area haven't been resolved. And, and then, fam- you know, the longings that, that, that what was hoped for in the relationship hasn't been found and, and and quite often, I mean, this again is sort of the heart of the book. These actually, it's the couples who say we've 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 never argued, we've never talked about the difficult stuff, we feel on parallel tracks, we've completely disconnected. And you know, maybe I'm seeing, I see because these are couples who are coming to therapy at this point. They're sort of wanting to reflect. So maybe they're more couples where there's still some sort of sadness together. You know, sometimes people it's so acrimonious, or someone has kind of walked out. I see less of that. Perhaps they're less keen to come into the sort of. Yes, I saw that more you're, as you're a lawyer. Doing therapy, aren't you? More as a yeah. lawyer, probably. But mm-hmm. the parallel tracks one is is very common, and I think that was part of wanting to write. Was like, look, not engaging, putting things under the rug. Maybe it worked for generations above, but it it isn't actually serving people because it leaves them not in touch with what is going on for the other. What does the law currently say about divorce? Because it's always amazed me that it is staggeringly easy to get married mm-hmm. and extraordinarily hard to get unmarried. But I know that the law changed recently on no-fault divorce, which I thought was really interesting. So what does the law say about it? What are the grounds for divorce now? So you now don't need to prove fault. And we saw that as a huge development. It doesn't take away all the issues, but you know, it's now the breakdown of the relationship and, and someone can say that and they don't That's need to... That's so massive. I, I, I really wish that I had had that, you know, because I, I I got divorced at a time when you had to find fault. And for us, you know, the relationship had broken down, but that wasn't enough for the judge. So, you know, and, and we didn't have, you know, we we didn't have the the separation, the adultery, the abusive, you know, whatever, you know, it, it was it was hard to actually try and find enough that would satisfy a judge. Yeah. And isn't that, sad, you know, isn't that unhelpful? It's such a red herring. It was so unhelpful it's such a red because herring. it then put real strain on that. And I know a lot of couples who, you know, were divorced before this change in the law who feel exactly the same way. So presumably, I, I know the media built it out to be kind of, you know, quickie divorce and making it too easy. But I can tell you from somebody who's actually been there on the, on the sharp end, personally, I am really in favour of no-fault divorce. And is, is that the same feeling for yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was excruciating. And, you know, I was training as a couple therapist and I was working as a lawyer and I found it so difficult, you know, preparing divorce petitions and, and thinking about the emotional impact of 
or, or the tone that it would set, this very first document. And I think it's one thing for lawyers and, and the lawyers I work, you know, lawyers are often misrepresented. They're very, you know, the lawyers are very sensitive and kind of to these issues, but actually it's the daily business. You, you know, this mad conversation that you're trying to explain to someone that this is, you just need to write these things in a petition that say how dreadful he or she is. And don't worry, it's just to get it through, you know, but, but actually... But the other person reads it and yeah, goes, and, hold and, on a minute. And, and then you've immediately set up yeah. the most terrible basis to have a, a, a rational conversation about the future. Totally. And anything that goes on paper in black and white in a divorce process can have a huge impact, even if, you know, and there are lawyers working at the moment really trying to think about the impact of language. And I think that's such a healthy development because, you know... If you've, ne- you've, if you've not been through a divorce process and, and you get a letter or you get a document and it just says something so personal, it can just be devastating and doesn't help and stirs things up when things are already difficult. So that was one, one positive development was that. But, it, you know, it doesn't take away that still there will be moments within the legal process where things get written down and, it, you know, if it goes through a litigation process or to court, people, you know, start to say slag each other off to kind of you know it can really stir things up Mm. Um, what about mediation we hear that term talked about what is it and and does that work yeah so I think it you know I think it's a it's what is helpful about mediation or one of the things that help is is that you you're working with both people they're both there so is it one lawyer working with with both parties you can have different models but so you'd have a, a mediator who is sitting with both people, talking and thinking with both people, who may have their own separate advice. So the mediator is not advising, but is trying to help them work together to come to an agreement. And I think there's, you know, I'm I'm involved in a project that is new and really exciting called Settle, where we're, we've got a mediator and a therapist, and we're trying to, because we think, you know, you've got to deal with these different domains of divorce the practical and the emotional but the minute that people are on other sides and literally that you know they're on the they're, they're sort of separate solicitors they're not working together things can build up now look mediation isn't for everyone if there's like a power dynamic or someone doesn't trust the other but where there's a couple who want to try and sort of work it out and they can trust each other and there isn't so much bad feeling it's it is a way of of keeping costs down and and getting stuff sorted. Well, my ex-husband and I, we specifically sought out lawyers who agreed first and foremost to be collaborative in their approach and non-aggressive and, you know, to put our family's needs first. And we really found that that approach from the outset was very helpful. What's your advice for for keeping the whole, you know, unpleasant process as, as civil as possible? Well, that sounds like a really helpful conversation that you were able to have to sort of anchor your values and objectives. That, we we, that we directed often... the lawyers, you know, we said, listen, yeah. please don't be combative. We we do not want you to be aggressive. We want we want to work together on this. Yeah, and which shows a level of functioning between you that, that, that can really be helpful. And, and, and we sort of say, you know, actually, there's this irony that in, at the moment you separate, you have to work together more than you ever have before and that's across the board as co-parents as in the proceedings you know so actually I think it's really helpful if you start off by saying this this is what we want um I say you know do make sure that there is space to do the the mourning and and to have feelings about the ending of the relationship tended to and whether that's together 
or individually and look I would say that because I'm a couple therapist but I I genuinely think if people think that divorce is only a legal process then the feelings will catch up with it and the process stirs stuff up so when people come and say we want an amicable divorce which you know is an adjective you only hear in relation to divorce it's sort of what actually you know it's not going to be it's a bit like my whole ethos which is there's going to be conflict along the way it's not going to that an amicable divorce doesn't mean it's just going to be smooth and everyone's going to agree with each other all the way along that's unrealistic what it means is that if, if there are differences that they're dealt with respectfully that you try and keep goodwill, that you try and communicate, you're trying to, you know, if one person is feeling more hurt than the other, that that is taken into account, that there's there's space to sort of address the difficult feelings rather than, again, sort of pretending that they're not there. No, Joanna, I, I think it's completely fascinating and hopefully a very timely conversation. Mm. And you've really, your, your book, Five Arguments All Couples Need to Have, Uh, subtitled and why the washing up matters is perhaps a really good stocking filler and actually something that that we could all think about and that you know framing arguments as being constructive and necessary so that we don't end up in the divorce courts and we don't keep the lawyers busy come January the 2nd. Yes and and I also think actually you know having engaging with each other look not not all couples are gonna work it out but if they've if they've sort of engaged with each other, being curious and, and and attended to their arguments, that actually helps the divorce go better because some of the morning work has been done already. You know, what we've discovered what hasn't been possible between us. Very, very true. Well, a positive note to end on. Love, lovely to, to have you here. And I, well, I, I, I kind of like to say, I hope that you're not very busy uh, in the coming year, but you know what I mean. I hope that you're busy with the book and, and perhaps not so busy with relationship breakdowns. Thank you again. Well, a very big thank you to Joanna. Gosh, interesting stuff. I hope you're managing to keep calm. Or maybe, well, just have the argument and get it out there and make up afterwards. Or if perhaps, like me, you are already divorced and maybe thinking about getting back on the dating scene, do have a little scroll back in your podcast feed and listen to our brilliant episode with the psychotherapist Lucy Beresford. She had so many great tips. Well, I'll be back next week keeping you company during this odd no man's land time between Christmas and New Year. I'd love for you to join me then. Just make sure you are following the podcast wherever you are listening to this so that you're notified when the next episode is available. And do also take a moment to click on the five star review button if you are able to. And in the meantime, of course, don't forget that you can find lots of wonderfully inspired and delicious festive food recipe ideas and seasonal wellness over on lizellwellbeing.com. Well, until the next time, go well and have a very merry, argument-free, or maybe not, Christmas. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Nushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.